think most of us are well aware of the power that <coughs> images can have, both visual images and also mental ones. If I were to say to you, for example, the name Ronald McDonald, what's going to come to your mind? <laughs> yes, exactly French fries. You see the nose, but you see other things associated with it. And Ronald McDonald is a very successful image branding for McDonald's. You think of it, and you think of what McDonald's is all about. <coughs> Images can be really powerful in that way, and that they tell you instantly something about what it represents. Images can also be misleading. There are times in which an image powerfully brings up certain things for you, but it might only tell half the story. Today we're speaking about one of the most powerful images in Christian uh, iconography and pictures, which is the picture of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. There we have a really powerful picture of who Jesus is. We've all seen, I'm sure, stained glass windows with Jesus there. We have probably Google searched and found Jesus uh, pictures on Google pretty easily. And we probably have heard many times Jesus described as the Good Shepherd. And it brings us many powerful things. I'd like to suggest to you that this passage from John chapter 10 actually corrects some of the ways in which we emphasize things in Jesus' picture of the Good Shepherd, and in fact should be emphasizing perhaps other things just as much. I'd like to speak to you today about what it means to call Jesus the Good Shepherd, and that element of Jesus being the Good Shepherd that's highlighted today in John chapter 10. But I also would like to suggest that the image Jesus gives us as a Good Shepherd not just something that helps us trust in him. It also lays out a pattern for our lives as we're called to be shepherds to the people that look to us for leadership, guidance, and protection. So as is often the case, it's worthwhile taking a little step back from where Jesus is speaking to look at what happens before. Because what happens before this passage in John 10 actually tells us a lot about why Jesus says the things that he does. You may have noticed as I read from John chapter 10, Jesus does a very, uh, makes a very strong underline of him contrasting himself with the hireling shepherd, or the shepherds who are paid to look after the sheep, but don't actually care about it. He's actually not speaking just theoretically. He's speaking about something that just happened in the chapter before, in chapter 9. In chapter 9 of John's Gospel, we find one of those scenes that seems very common in Jesus' ministry. Jesus sees a man who's blind, and he's there begging on the streets, but Jesus is not content simply to throw him a few coins. Jesus instead reaches out, touches him, and heals him from his blindness. Here's what happens. Sadly, this happens also often in Jesus' ministry. It happens to be the Sabbath day, the day of rest, and so Jesus heals this man. But when the religious leaders of the day find out that this man has been healed on the Sabbath, they're enraged. According to their interpretation of the rules, this day of rest means not only do you not have to go to work and punch the clock, this day of work is a day in which you can't even be healed or allow another person to heal you, no matter how good and life-transforming it is. They drag the man in front of a committee, and in front of that committee they question him, who is this man who healed you, and why did you not renounce him as a sinner? They bring the man's parents and say, this man must be lying, right? He wasn't really blind. His parents say, no, he was blind since birth. I don't know why he sees. They call him in again and say, renounce this man as a sinner. And the man says, no, I refuse to. He healed me. And he obviously did something great. And so in their anger, they cast the man out of the synagogue and refused to have anything to do with him. 
Chapter 9 ends with Jesus searching out this man and speaking to him about his experience and about him recognizing Jesus for who he is and following him. It's important to know that because right afterwards, Jesus starts talking about what a good shepherd looks like. And he's not just speaking about shepherds or about general goodness or badness. What he's speaking about is the quality of what true godly leadership looks like. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I laid down my life for the sheep, he is very consciously speaking in front of the very Pharisees, the religious leaders who have just proven themselves unworthy of leadership by the way that they treated this young man. Think of what they did. He comes to them, and he comes to them not having done anything. He comes to them having been healed. And what does that do to them? It shows them that their interpretation of the Sabbath was wrong. They believed that the Sabbath was not only not for work, which is a good thing that God gave, they also said it's a time where you could not even be healed. And what does this man do by standing in front of them? Having been healed by somebody who invokes God's power and name, it shows that they are wrong. And they will not make the sacrifice of their reputation, they will not make the sacrifice of their own egos to swallow their pride and say, I've learned something, let's celebrate. Instead, they refuse to make that sacrifice would rather cast out this lost sheep than to give him the support he needs as he rebuilds his life, having now come off the streets and wanted to serve. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's doing more than give us the comforting image that often comes to us when we talk about the good shepherd. We often think, well, Jesus' love is contrasted with others, or his gentleness is contrasted with others. Those are partly true. How often does Jesus comfort people like the woman caught in adultery and refuses to condemn her? Or are the many times children are being shooed away by his disciples and instead Jesus saying, no, I will make time for these things. Wonderful pictures of Jesus' comfort and compassion. But this story of the Good Shepherd does more than this. For what he's contrasting himself with is not just compassion, but something even deeper. This is what he says is the prime dividing line between him, the good shepherd, and the bad shepherds who are pushing this man away. He says the good shepherd, remember in contrast to what these people, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now the hired hand, who is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And the hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life. They are unwilling to lay down their own reputations, a small sacrifice, and Jesus says, that is what distinguishes me from them. I will lay down my own life so that my sheep might be kept safe. We think sometimes about the cross. We speak about Jesus having become the victim on the cross, and that's true. He does not fight back. And we look at that, again, if we look at that without seeing what Jesus says about his ministry, we forget that Jesus is saying more than I was going to be crucified or that my life is taken from me. He says, when the good shepherd sees the wolf coming, he lays down his life for the sheep. What does that say? It says, I actively go out to fight the wolf, even to the death, so that my sheep might be saved. When Jesus lays down his life on the cross, he says, nobody takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. We learn something about the quality of Jesus' leadership when we realize that his death on the cross was an act of engagement with sin and death, 
a battle that cost Jesus his own life, but he did so so that we might find the victory of eternal life. Jesus is presented here as a mighty warrior as well as a person. We hear the picture of Jesus smiting down the law of sin and death, even at the cost of his own life. One of the most common passages that is read in funerals is a passage that refers to the Good Shepherd. It's a passage in which we often are asked as clergy to read. We read Psalm 23 and we hear, How the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me besides uh, green water. He leads me to still waters. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. But I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are often asked for because of the comforting image that the Good Shepherd does. But whenever a person asks me for Psalm 23 to be read, I almost always ask if I can read this passage as well. But what a person needs to hear when they see their loved one now outside of their control and their power is not just words of comfort. What they also need to know is that there's someone who has fought for their loved one and on their behalf has laid down his life so that this death which is taken them momentarily will not have permanent victory. For the good shepherd has fought. That danger came up against all of us. The danger of death has defeated and given us the hope of eternal life. So the first thing to stress here is to say that Jesus, we learn something about this person, that he is mighty, and that he loves us dearly enough to lay down his own life so that we might be found of joy and eternal life. The second thing I mentioned as I began this service is not just that Jesus, we learned something about him and the true quality of his leadership and character. We also learned something about the pattern of life that we are called to follow. Do you notice something about the good shepherd and about that shepherd imagery? Shepherds, of course, do something magnificent if they die while they're fighting off a wolf. That's not all a shepherd does. He doesn't sort of punch in the clock and die. What's a shepherd do? It's time with the sheep. He leads them around. He does the daily things that a shepherd must do. He makes sacrifices on a daily basis so that his sheep might be fed and watered. When we talk about the cross, that's the supreme sacrifice Jesus makes for his sheep. But it is not a one-off deal. In fact, what it is is the culmination of an entire life that's lived in sacrifice for his sheep. Think about the simple story of Mark chapter 6, where Jesus tells his disciples, it's time for us to go to a deserted place to refresh ourselves. So he takes his disciples to a deserted place. What did he find? As he looks behind, whole crowds are following him, giving him no chance to be in a deserted place at all. And Jesus, if I were him, Grow angry, get lost, give me me time. What does he say? He looks and he sees the crowds and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And so what does he do? We are told that he's filled with compassion. He tells the people to be seated on the grass. And he finds a few loaves and he breaks them and he blesses them. And 5,000 people are fed. Because Jesus the good shepherd sacrifices his desire to be alone for a while in order to there feed the people who so desperately need him. Or that picture of the children coming to Jesus where the disciples shoo them away and Jesus says, no, I'll make time. Or Jesus walking to Jericho with the great crowds and his disciples tell the blind man Bartimaeus, be quiet, stop crying out for Jesus. He doesn't have time. And Jesus stops and he has time for that person. Or the Syrophoenician woman who is not a Jew, who has no real expectation that the Messiah of the Jews would spend time to actually heal her daughter, Jesus does. He heals her daughter. 
Jesus' entire life is a life in which small sacrifices and big are all part of the same cloth. Because Jesus' great ministry is a ministry of loving care for the people that God has given to him to care for. Making the sacrifices each day to make sure that they are just. I find that an encouraging pattern because we look at the cross and we tell ourselves sometimes as Christians, what do we expect to do? Thankfully, few of us live in places like Syria or Iraq where Christians are routinely murdered. Right? We live in a safe environment in which, yes, we're called upon to make sacrifices, but after all, not the supreme sacrifice of death. But when Jesus says he is the good shepherd, it comes with an entire image of a life that's lived full of small sacrifices for the abundant health of the sheep. And I was thinking about how to explain how this works and what a true good shepherd looks like in our culture. I kept thinking back to one of my favorite movies. And many of you will have seen this many times because it always comes on television at Christmas. It's a movie called It's a Wonderful Life. You may have seen that. I've seen it probably a dozen times. It's a movie set in a small town, and there in that small town lives a family called the Bailey family. And George Bailey and Harry Bailey are the two sons of the family. Their father uh, is the manager of a savings and loan company, a small uh, bank-type institution that loans out for people's homes and for other important projects. You would think the stories it begins will be a story about Harry Bailey, because as you find out later, Harry Bailey goes off to the Second World War. He fights bravely, he gets the Congressional Medal of Honor because he's a hero at a moment of crisis. It's actually not a story about heroism. It's a story celebrating the heroism of plain old George. The heroism of plain old George comes clear in the small things he does. When he wants to go off to college and he saved up money to leave this stupid town and he's not interested in, raising, in being part of that savings and loan, his father dies on the very day he's supposed to leave for college. And so what does George do? puts aside his college dreams in order to raise, or in order to take over that company, to make sure that its employees are kept safe. What does George do when he gets married and he wants to go on a honeymoon, and that very day a bank crisis happens, and so George, instead of going off to celebrate what he rightly has the right to have, celebration of his marriage, he gives up the money he's saved in order to help the bank stay afloat. It's the story of George Bailey, who never becomes rich, never becomes famous, at the end, nevertheless, is the person who is clearly the richest man in town. He's the richest man in town because day after day he makes small sacrifices for the people who depend on him. When I think about parenting in similar terms, you look at all of the sacrifices you must make, the times where the ice rain falls and you need to scrape off half an inch off your windshield, the day when you get there half an hour late for work and your boss complains and doesn't really care that Everything was backed up because somebody got in an accident. The times where you get to the end of the week, having worked on a project and done the lion's share of the work, but find that the other guy in the group did absolutely nothing, it's all great. Or the times where you make recommendations for your office to change and improve, and you know that they will work, but nobody seems to care. Or when you come home bruised and broken, tired out, feeling like all these things I've been doing make me want to get on a plane and fly somewhere south and leave it all behind. You pull up to your driveway and you see your little kids playing around in the yard and you realize that all these sucky things I've been doing all day long, these small sacrifices are things I do so that these little ones can have a safe place to play around. When the wolf of despair or want or trouble comes, the daily sacrifices I make keep these little sheep happy, living abundantly, and having joy.
how interesting it is that we fail to recognize the heroism behind that when in fact Jesus shows us that this is in fact the pattern of true goodness. A pattern that is not always punctuated by giant heroic acts, but instead a way of life that is punctuated with daily sacrifices for the sake of those who look to us for leadership, protection, and help. Here's the joy in this. There's the joy and satisfaction of knowing that what I am doing on a daily basis, though nobody blows a trumpet and celebrates it, is what makes the sheep who look to me satisfied. And we're the church of the Good Shepherd. I look at this and I think to myself, here is a wonderful and abundant opportunity, but also a challenge for us. Crowds looked to Jesus and they followed Jesus and they came to love Jesus because they saw him to be so different than the leaders they saw around them. Who instead of rejecting the man born blind, heals him and brings him into the flock and shows him by his action he loves him in a sacrificial way. They followed him not just because of his words, but because of the way he acted day in and day out. Can people look to us for the same? Can people in this community look to our church and say, there's a church who, yes, talks about the love of God, but more than that, there is a church that embodies Christian faith in this modern community party, that embodies this Christian faith in such ways that people look to us and say, we really do care and have a burden for the community around us. We love in ways that are, yes, not always magnificent and heroic, but on a daily basis are sacrificial for the sake of the community. Think about something as simple as our bud club, which happens right after our service. What does our community think when it looks here and it sees special needs children come to be played with, to be cared for, and families given the opportunity for a few hours to go shopping? My hope is that they look here and see this is a community that follows the true good shepherd who is Jesus who sacrifices a few hours to spend time with kids that many other people would rather not spend time with, to show them that they too are sons and daughters of the living God. Do we look around at the people we sit with each week and show them by our actions that we take the time to get to know them, that we're there for them when they need us, and that we're truly people who want to follow the good shepherd by being good shepherds ourselves? Here's our challenge. Will we simply speak about the love of Christ and be warmed by the comforting image of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, or will we be inspired by the image of Christ, the Good Shepherd, to walk after that Good Shepherd and live as Good Shepherds ourselves? Our challenge today is to, yes, accept the love and the comfort the Good Shepherd gives us, all the protection that comes with it, but also be people who take up the challenge the Good Shepherd gives us and walk in his path and love as that Good Shepherd love the people God has placed in our path and show them they too are valuable sheep in the eyes of the good shepherd we all love to follow. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we love the image of you as the good shepherd, but it is easy sometimes to look at that and simply celebrate your love, the comfort and protection you give and forget. What we're actually doing is seeing someone whose love is so deep, so profound, and so courageous that he will give up everything so that we might be rescued from the things that seek to harm us. Let us celebrate your courage in laying down your life for us and the protection you offer at moments in which we are found absolutely broken. Times of death, of sickness, of heartache. Help us to look to you as our champion and shepherd of our souls. But help us also, O oh Lord, to look to you as the person who leads us in a new pattern and way of life. Help us, Lord Jesus, to look to you as the good shepherd and ask ourselves how we can be little shepherds for the sheep you place across our path. 
fill this church with your life-giving and powerful spirit so that our church might be known in this community as a good shepherd to garden. And help us each as individuals, as we look upon children, or colleagues, friends, or loved ones we sit with each week here at church, help us to look upon ourselves as people given the opportunity and responsibility to be shepherds to them. Help us, O oh Lord, not to be like the hireling shepherd who runs when challenges come, but help us to lay down our lives in simple, small ways each day so that we might bring peace and blessing to everyone who comes across our path. We can only do this through your power, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen.